Welcome back to the Stock Market Options Trading Podcast. My name is Eric, and I've got some really interesting research data for you today in this episode around selling naked puts on IWM the past five years. Before we dive in, though, I wanted to let you know that today's show is an extension of some recent options trading research videos I've been putting out over on the YouTube channel. The YouTube channel has the same name as the podcast. It's called Stock Market Options Trading. That's options with an S. And you can check out the YouTube channel. I'm gonna try and post a new options trading research video every week or two over on YouTube. And I love to get your feedback over there on ideas for new research or different variations of a particular study that maybe you see over there. Um, and the way you do that is by leaving a comment on the YouTube video and uh, we can talk about what might work, what might not work. We're already getting a few comments over there and getting requests for new studies. So I, I'm creating this list of, of research that people wanna see and I'd love for you to participate. And in case you didn't know, why, while you're over there, if you subscribe to the YouTube channel and you click that little bell icon that you see, you'll be notified whenever there's a new video posted. And that's a great way to kind of participate and be aware of the latest research that's being posted. And the great part is YouTube is totally free. So the next time you got a few minutes, be sure to check out the Stock Market Options Trading YouTube channel for the latest options trading research videos. So let's talk through this strategy. So in the recent YouTube video that I mentioned, I was originally selling a Delta 10 naked put on IWM and SPY. There's two videos, one on IWM and one on SPY. But in today's video, we're gonna focus on IWM. And in this research segment, we're gonna look at selling a Delta 15 put. Delta 10 is a little bit farther away from the money. It's a little bit higher probability. You get a little bit less credit. So we're gonna be selling a Delta 15 today, but I, I wanna talk a little bit about, a, a little bit of a difference between the Delta 10 and the Delta 15, besides the less credit and besides the you know slightly higher probability. Um, I wanna talk a little bit about the buying power needed. Now, I'm not an expert in buying power. There are some formulas that the brokerages use to sort of calculate the buying power you need to sell a naked put. When you're doing a spread, it's risk-defined. You know what that is because you can do the math. Uh, but they, you know, there's a combination of factors that the brokerages use to figure out the buying power effect and I think they're pretty standard, but basically I did a quick, you know, kind of a order just to kind of give you some context here. The credit for that naked put at Delta 10, and this is about 30 days of expiration, was $105. And I needed just under $2,000 to make that trade. That was the buying power needed to sell a Delta 10 naked put in Tastyworks and Toss. I, I tried Tastyworks and Toss, and they're both about the same. The Delta 15, though, was had a credit of $1.65 or $165. So again, because you're selling slightly closer to the money by five deltas, you're going to get a better credit. You would think that the buying power would sort of be similar in the amount that you would need uh, because the likelihood of that Delta 15 getting hit is actually more probable than the Delta 10, but it's not. You needed about $2,500, so maybe 20% more buying power to sell that um, Delta 15 option. But with that 20% more uh, buying power that you needed, you actually got about 30% more credit or so. So my takeaway from this, and again, I'm not an expert in this buying power um, you know, scenario. I'm sure other people can speak to it uh, some more, but my takeaway is that by selling the Delta 15, it's gonna be a little bit more 
capital efficient, you know, if you want to trade, you know, bigger size or something. And the results, you know, we'll talk about the results. You can see the results for the Delta 10 in those videos. And today we're going to talk about the uh, Delta 15. So when you're setting up a back test for particular strategies, and you guys know that with options, there's so many variables, the days to expiration, when you want to take profits, which delta, and you know, if you're going to use a moving average, today we're going to use a moving average filter, which I'll talk about here in a minute. There's a lot of variations um, to consider. And as you move things around between time and distance, the it affects the other variations or the other parameters, I should say, on the back test. So what we're going to talk through today is um, some of the, the variations that I found to be the best performance um, in relation to the risk and that kind of thing, the way the P&L curve and stuff. This is a total opinion piece, right? So just keep that in mind that this isn't the only way to do this. There's, you know, you can sell Delta 10 and do it this way, but if, as soon as you change one variable, when, when I went from Delta 10, for example, to Delta 15, I had, in order to get a better performance out of it, I had to adjust some of those other parameters. So it's not just enough to say, I'm gonna sell a Delta 10 versus a Delta 15. There's different things that can improve or keep you out of trouble with that. So again, I just wanted to kind of throw that out there that, that we're gonna talk about what the parameters were for, for this particular trade that I felt like had a pretty good risk reward over the past five years. And, but if you start to mess with these parameters, it actually can change the results. So just keep that in mind if this is something you're looking to explore on your own. Um, all of this research obviously is for informational purposes only. It's for educational purposes, and it's really to help us get a better understanding of the different variables and parameters of options and different styles, uh, as well as how options behave in certain markets and with certain time and distance and all that stuff. So it's kind of wanted to throw that out there. So first thing we're going to talk about is the days to expiration. Where I ended up with the best performance uh, was actually 30 days to expiration. Now, I actually did some tests with 45 days to expiration or DTE, uh, but it actually took longer to book those profits. And what that means is you have to keep your money in the market a little bit longer with Delta 45. There are some risks you're avoiding, some gamma risk you're um, sort of avoiding by trading that farther out. Um, and that's something that Tasty Trade talks about a lot. And they're totally right. Uh, but just from a um, time perspective, I was able to achieve profits faster with 30 days to expiration versus 45. And that probably has to do with the theta starts to increase a little bit. Um, doesn't mean you shouldn't trade Delta for, uh, I keep saying Delta, doesn't mean you shouldn't trade 45 days to expiration, but I'm just kind of showing you what I got when I did this. So the 45 days to expiration took a little bit longer to book profits and it actually didn't make as much money um, either because in this study, I'm trading one trade at a time. They're kind of sequential. And so because it took longer to book that profit, you didn't have as many trades in the five periods. So you didn't make as much money because you basically had less trade. So it wasn't that you didn't make the same amount per trade. Um, it was actually very similar, but it took, since it takes you longer to make the money, you didn't make as much money as fast. So kind of, I hope that sort of makes sense. So for this study, the 30 days to expiration version, the average time in the trade was nine days. So keep that in mind as we keep going through all the parameters. And um, let's talk about the market condition. Um, I settled on if, you know, only selling this Delta 15 naked put about 30 days to expiration, 
only if IWM is above the 21 EMA. It's one of my favorite EMAs. I use it a lot. I use the 8 EMA, the 21 EMA. The 30 SMA worked just as well, but I did test some other moving averages with this. And the general idea is we want to be selling naked puts when we think the market isn't going to go down too much. And there's, so we're using this you know, moving average is kind of a, a, a bull market filter is the kind of term that I'll, I'll put in there. Um, and I tried the 200 day, I tried the 50 day, and basically the 21 EMA outperformed the 50 and 200 SMA. I actually tried going a little bit shorter. I was like, well, okay, only sell the, the Delta uh, 15 put if IWM was above the eight EMA, but it was actually so short that it actually filtered out too many trades and it didn't make as much money. So. 21 EMA did well, and as I said, the 30 SMA did pretty well too, if, you like, if you're an SMA person. It's not that 21 is magical, but there was just something about that particular uh, time frame that seemed to work best for 30 day to expiration uh, naked put. So if IWM was trading above the 21 EMA, the software sold a naked Delta 15 put with about 30 days to expiration. That's sort of the, the setup. And again, we're in only one trade at a time and the software will choose weekly options uh, You know, if, if that's the closest one to the expiration. So for example, if the market is selling off and it's below the 21 EMA, um, the software isn't gonna, isn't gonna open any new trades. They're gonna skip it. And as soon as the market gets back above the 21 EMA, it's then going to look and say, okay, what's the closest expiration, the 30 days? That could be a monthly option. It could be a weekly option. So we're trying to keep that 30 DTE or 30 days of expiration consistent for this study. So once the Delta 15 naked put was sold because IWM was above the 21 EMA, I placed a 50% max profit to kind of manage winners. And then a stop loss order of 100% of the max profit was placed to minimize any uh, risk in case the market actually turned lower or something. So whichever came first, that trade was closed. So again, 50% of the max profit, if that was achieved, it would close the trade and 100% of the max profit as a stop loss in case um, the market turned lower. So here's kind of a, a gotcha on this one. And I, and I like to just make sure that you understand what I'm you know, the way this software works really, just so we're very clear. The software that I'm using for this study uses end of day options pricing. And what that means is at the end of the day, the price of the option was checked. And if the profit target or stop loss was, you know, exceeded at that point at the end of the day, it would then close the trade. It would close it for the profit or it would close it uh, with the stop loss. It's not an intraday target or stop loss. And the reason this is important to know is that there are likely both targets and stops that exceeded their thresholds as part of this uh, study. So for example, in real trading, if you were to set a GTC order, a good till cancel order to say, I wanna buy the spread back at 50% of the profit target. So let's say you sell the, the put for $1.60, right? 50% of that would be 80 cents. If you can buy it back for 80 cents, then you would profit 80 cents because you've booked or you've realized 50% of that max profit. So at the end of the day, uh, the software is going to check the price. Well, if the, at the end of the day, the price could very well be have dropped down to 60 cents and you could buy it back for 60 cents. So you would exceed by a little bit that 50% of the target. 
It's never going to be exact where if you're trading intraday, it's going to be pretty close and you're going to get closer to that that target, right? So that's a good thing, sense of the back test. The downside really is on the stop loss side, right? So if let's say you're doing a 100% max loss stop loss on the $1.60 example. So if you sold that naked put for $1.60, if the put increases in value by 100%, which would be another $1.60, that puts you at $3.20. Um, if you had a GTC order in there, the, the stop order would say, hey, if, if the value of the put increases to $3.20, buy it back at $3.20. Therefore, you would have lost $1.60 on that particular trade. That's 100% max loss, stop loss, right? The problem with this type of analysis is you have to realize that by the end of the day, if there was a massive gap down or move lower, it could increase by more than that, more than that 100% gain. So instead of going to $3.20 or $3.20, it could go to $4. So your stop loss could be larger than the 100%. Um, now, if you're using a GTC order, you might get lucky and be able to get filled closer to that 100% stop loss. But I just wanted you to kind of understand that with the end of day options pricing, it's only comparing the price of the options at the end of the day, which could be greater or lesser than your stop or target, depending on what you're you know talking about. And um, so it's not, you know, it's it's we're still talking about a back test here. This isn't a real, these aren't real fills, you know, so just you got to keep that in mind. With that said, it still has a good indication. The study gives you a good indication of how options behave and using these different parameters. So now let's talk about re-entry. So let's say your, your profit targets hit, right? You sell it for $1.60, you buy it back for 80 cents, and the market is still above the 21 EMA. What the software is gonna do is the very next day, it's gonna open a new one. So it's kind of this perpetual trade. It's gonna look to the option chain that's 30 days out and say, okay, where is Delta 15? Oh, it's this strike. Okay, let's sell another one because the market condition of IWM being above the 21 EMA still exists. Therefore, I'm gonna get into a new trade and I'm gonna reset my 50% profit target and my 100% stop loss. So that's kind of how the study um, was working. And again, the IWM would, would have to continue to be above that 21 EMA for it to open the new trade. All right, so let's run through the results. So selling one contract per trade, meaning you know one trade at a time over the past five years, here's just some of the results. The return on capital and the way that's calculated, it looks at how much was risked on average um, over the five years for each trade. Obviously, when IWM five years ago was, I don't have it in front of me, is probably trading less in size. So therefore the risk is gonna be a little bit less than it was now when markets are at all times high. Uh, you're gonna need more capital to sell a naked put, right? Because uh, um, it's a combination of the price and the risk associated, right? The return on capital on average, um, when you average it all out, is about 191% over the past uh, five years. So it's pretty good. That's, you know, what is that? 30, 40% per year on your, your risk. Um, it had an 84% win rate, which that sounds good. People really like that. <laughs> um, the total gain was about $3,400. Now I know that doesn't seem like uh, a lot of money, but again, we're just trading one contract at a time with IWM. I mentioned this before, the average days in trade were nine. So you would sell that naked put and within nine days on average, you would either make your profit or get stopped out. And then you would look to re-enter that trade if IWM 
was still above that 21 EMA on the very next trading day. The average winner here was $52 per win and the average loser was $124. So that's pretty close to our, you know, profit target and stop loss parameters where we're targeting a 50% profit of the max profit and a 100% stop loss. So in this case, the average loser was just over twice the size of the winner, which is you know in line with the way that the software and everything works. The largest loser there was $577. But again, that is based on the end of day options pricing. And what I mentioned, you could have a loser or a winner that's bigger than expected. Um, and you can have that with stop losses anyway. Most of you probably experienced a large gap down at some point that's, you put a, you know, the stock's trading at 100 and you have a stop at 98. Well, if the stop gaps down to 96, you're getting out at 96 if you're lucky. Your, your stop loss is really just to let you, let that order go into the market. So, you know, we kind of understand that stop losses are, are, you know, not accurate with any sort of strategy, really. So let me just add that the P&L curve on this was very, very smooth and it's really worth uh, taking a look. And what I'm gonna do is, I'm going to post this podcast in the trading community over at stockmarketoptionstrading.net and I'm going to post some screenshots of the from the software showing the P&L curve. So if you want to visually see some of the results that I'm, you know, I'm kind of going through, um, it, it kind of sums it all up and you can really kind of help you know, solidify this uh, inside your mind. I'm gonna put that in the community in the podcast section and I'll post those there. It's totally free. You don't even have to sign up if you don't want. It's easier to navigate if you are if you have a, a free account. But anyway, it's stockmarketoptionstrading.net. If you have any questions about the study, um, and this is what I'm trying to do with the podcast. It's hard for you to communicate with me through the podcast. We can't, can't really do that. But over in the community, you can ask questions. You can ask for different, uh, maybe a different back test, or maybe you want to try something else. Um, so I'd love to hear the feedback from you over in the community. If you have any questions about the study, I'll be hanging out over there. Again, that's stockmarketoptionstrading.net. So stop by, hit me up, and I'll see you at the next episode. Thanks for listening and subscribing to the show.